Good morning, everyone. Happy to have you here. I think that I'd be safe to say that uh, everyone in this room has been embarrassed in their life at one time or another, uh, to one degree or another. Um, This morning, I'm going to share two of my most embarrassing moments of my life. Um, Before I tell you the story, I'm going to tell you that I am extremely modest. Man, extremely modest. That's... Give you a heads up on that. So anyway, both of them happened, <clears throat> ironically, about 30 years ago, because I know that because Emily was just an infant. The first time was um, I was working uh, for a friend of mine, Jeff. His parents owned a mobile home park over in Sicklerville, <clears throat> and we were in charge of the maintenance of, of the whole park. We did everything, you know, you know, mowing lawns, uh, concrete work, repairs, shop, equipment, everything. So anyway, uh, one day Jeff says to me, hey, my dad said, uh, come over to the office, and in his office, his private bathroom, the exhaust fan's not working. Can you take a look at it? So I said, okay. So I go over, and, and uh, Jeff's dad left. He wasn't there. So I went over, I didn't have to worry about anything. So I went in and I, I took the fan out, took it back to the shop, checked it out, lubed it, cleaned it, got it all working, you know, I'm good. Now, you know, I am, when I'm working, I'm working, I'm in work mode. I don't pay attention to too much. So anyway, uh, I take the fan, go back over, I'm going to reinstall it. Now, I go in the office, I go in Jeff's dad's office, uh, like I said, he, had, he wasn't there. He was gone for the day or whatever. So I go in. I open up the door to the bathroom. And much to my surprise was Jeff's mom in the middle of changing. So uh, I, know, I know that Jesus walked on water, uh, but... He's God. He can do that kind of stuff. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that day that I ran on air. Um, and I ran all the way back to the shop. And uh, for some odd reason, my friend Jeff thought it was funny. Um, I didn't. Uh, that, that was... Um, I still cringe when I think about that. My second most embarrassing moment. Uh, this came... Uh, about the same time, but I know it was the summertime, because, like I said, we, we, we did everything, you know, as far as the, the park goes, and then especially in the summertime, a lot of time we did concrete work, which is brutal, and, uh, you know, I would come home from work, and I'd be, you know, just tired and dirty and, you know, yuck. So what I used to do is I would, I would come home, I would walk in the front door, and I would, I would go over to the chair, and I would undress. I would take, you know, strip, run right in, jump in the shower, good to go, right? So I come home, you know, same thing, hot, sweaty, whatever. Nothing's out of the ordinary, nothing unusual. You know, I come home, I go in. Uh, Lois, sometimes Lois would be sitting there, sometimes not. Uh, I know Emily was taking a nap. 
uh, which, you know, in the afternoon. So I come home, and, and, I, and I sit down in my chair, <clears throat> and uh, I, I look kind of like down the hall, and I see the bathroom doors closed. You know, so, okay, Lois is in the bathroom. Emily's sleeping. So I proceed to undress. And I had everything off but the final uh, piece of garment, which I was in process of removing, and the bathroom door opened up. Uh, Much to my surprise, uh, it wasn't my wife. (laughs) It was our friend Anne. Um, I'm not sure who was more surprised. Uh, But anyway, there was was a panic for a little bit, uh, me getting redressed. Uh, But actually what had happened was uh, another friend of ours, Jim, had bought a brand new car. Picked up Anne to take take her for look at the car, take her for a ride. They came over <clears throat> to Lois, said, "Hey, you want to take a ride in my new car?" And she said, "I can't because Emily's sleeping. I can't leave her." And Anne said, "No problem. I'll stay behind and watch Emily. You go and take a ride in the new car." So that's why there was nothing, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. No cars in the yard or anything like that. So. That was uh, <clears throat> that was uh, that was my two most embarrassing moments, and I hope I never have any more like that. Um, I think that I would also be fairly safe in saying that everybody in this room has done things that they're ashamed of. Something you said, something you did, you know, whatever. Um, and I have those also. Uh, I'm not going to share them with you, though. I'll keep them to myself. Um, I would also say that I'd be safe to say that everybody at one time or another or maybe through their life has a struggle that they, that they deal with, some kind of personal struggle. Uh, you know, it could be you know, shame, could be pride, could be insecurity, uh, hatred, uh, fear, whatever it is, whatever it is. Uh, somehow or another we end up having something like that. Now, I've been a believer for about 40 years now. Um, and in that time, I've, I've, I've grown closer and closer to, uh, to the Lord. Um, and I've realized w- what kind of a, a father he is to me. Um, I've also learned that, that, you know, sometimes I think we have the habit of putting God in a box. You know, let's that, bring him down to, to my size so I can understand him. But that's not the case. Um, he is so much more than we could ever imagine. Um, way bigger than we think. Um, he's beyond my comprehension and understanding. Uh, he's pure and holy perfect in every way and I'm not nor are we believe it or not do you know that God calls us to be like him though in 1 Peter 1 he says as obedient children do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance but like the holy one who calls you to be holy yourselves also among your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
As I was, I was, I was preparing for this sermon, I, I, I read a quote, and it said, Holiness is to the spiritual life what health is to the physical life. You like to see a person who is physically fit, robust, and healthy. Well, holiness is to be healthy and robust spiritually. Now, I believe that, that Jesus saved me. I believe that God called me to serve. I believe that he called me here to hope. And I believe that he called me to be an elder. But here's the struggle I deal with. Okay? Sometimes, you know, like we all do, we get tired, uh, weary, uh, worn out, stressed out. When I'm not studying God's word like I should be, when I'm not spending alone time with the Lord, I let my spiritual guard down. When that happens, that's when the enemy has his chance. He'll come creeping in, start to whisper in my ear. He loves to bring up my past sins, failures, embarrassments, and especially the things that I'm ashamed of. If I let him get a foothold and I start to dwell on these things, I start to wonder if I'm worthy to serve God. Doubt can rush in to the point where I'm paralyzed. My past mistakes can hinder my future. You know that after I had those uh, embarrassing episodes that I told you about, um, I certainly didn't want to see those people. You know, I just wanted to run away and, and hide and never see them again. Fortunately, the Lord took care of the first one with Jeff's mom because the next day they left for Florida for a month. <laughs> so I didn't have to worry about that one. Um, sometimes that's how I feel with God. I look back at my failures. I think, wow, you know, I just want to run away from them because I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough to stand before him. And as I said, God calls us to be holy. He calls us to be righteous, to be pure, to be good, to be loving. But can we be like him? And I've heard many people say that, you know, I think that I'm pretty good. Their good outweighs their bad, as if there's some kind of invisible scale that they can, they can weigh it out. I don't know, maybe that brings comfort to them. The problem is, who's setting the bar here? Is it us or is it God? I was thinking about, you know, in, in, uh, in, in track and field, they have an event, the high jump. I guess probably everybody knows about the high jump. You know, they put the, put the bar at whatever level and then they run and do that weird backflip over it. And I looked it up. Uh, the world record was set in 1993 by Xavier Sotomayor. Eight feet and a quarter inches. Now, eight feet, uh, two more feet above me. Uh, that amazes me. I think I could do probably four feet, maybe. I don't know. But eight feet 
That's, that's crazy. That's just crazy. The closer that, I, that I've gotten to God and the more I look at him and, and, and who he is and he sets his bar, it's like trying to jump over the Empire State Building. It's impossible in our own strength. But through God and his power, all things are possible. In Matthew 19, Jesus says, Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You know, when I look at God, I'm awestruck. Sometimes when I think about God looking at me, I have fear. But the truth is that when God looks at a believer, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see us for what we've done and who we are. He looks at it and sees his son. It's like he has these these magic Jesus glasses that he puts on. Jesus is our atonement. He took on God's punishment that was meant for me and you. He stands between us and God and says, Father, he's one of mine. I paid for him. You know, as long as we're living in this corruptible, sinful flesh, we will make mistakes. We will fall down. We will embarrass ourselves and do things that we're ashamed of. But what we need to do is stand on the word of God and believe what it tells us. You will find your true identity in it. The first thing is that God put his spirit in us. We're not doing this alone. In John 14, it says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be, with, be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live in you. You also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. So who are you in Christ? Who's your identity? The first thing is, you know, in, in Romans 8, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. If you're a believer, there's no condemnation. When you die and stand before the Lord, he's not going to condemn you. Your sins are paid for. In Psalm 103, 10 through 12, it says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve, good thing, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? Infinity. They're gone. They're gone. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 19, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And in Romans 4.25 he says, He was delivered over to death for our sins, was raised to life for our justification. Justification. And I like, I like this. If you break that down, you can say, just if I'd never sinned. That's what justification is. That's those Jesus glasses that I'm talking about that God puts on. Jesus justified us. We're sanctified. We're set apart for God's good work. And one day, we're going to be glorified when we get to heaven. We'll be done then. We'll be complete. And the last thing I want to share about who we are, and, and this one just like kind of just blows me away. You know, it's one thing that God saw us and we're, 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 we're lost in sin and he, and he sends a Savior to save, you know, take care of that sin debt and uh, takes away our punishment. But then he goes on and says in Romans 8, 4, 8, 14 through 17, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Not only did he save us from our punishment, he adopted us. He made us his sons and daughters. He made us heirs. That's pretty cool stuff. Do you believe that? Do you take hold of that? Do you lay claim to your inheritance? Do you live with that confidence? You should. It's yours. God said it. It's a promise. No one can take that away from you. In John 8, 31, 32, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When you know the truth about who you are and who God is, it sets you free. We need to instill the truth about who we are in the very essence of our life, our soul, our being. Then we can walk in confidence. When the enemy tries to attack us, stand on God's word. In James 4, 7, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He has no power over you. You know that even from the beginning, man has failed 
God, but God has never failed us. I want to look at two, two examples in the Bible. The first I want to look at is where it all started up. We'll go to the book of Genesis. And in there, we read that God created Adam from the dust of the ground. Um, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you not, must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, you will certainly die. God took a rib from Adam and he created Eve from that. And in Genesis 2.25 it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Amazing. They're naked, they didn't even know it. Adam and Eve were perfect and living in a perfect world. Now God had given Adam a command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you will die. One command. But we know that that goes wrong. In Genesis 3, 1 through 19, bear with me as I read this, it's kind of long, but I think it's important. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the certain, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed thick leaves together, and made coverings for themselves. So one minute, you know, from their existence, they've been naked and didn't know it, felt no shame, they were comfortable with it, and then that quick, they're making clothes out of fig leaves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Now watch this. The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed to you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now they 
already messed up big time, but you know, if you dissect that last verse, verse 15, if you kind of dissect that and get into it a little more, most commentaries believe that you know, God's talking about the Messiah to come and you know, there's going to be evil against good, but you know, the bottom line is Christ is going is to take care of all that, which he did. To the woman he, said, woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Thanks a lot, Adam. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since you were taken, since you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So God warned them, this is what sin does. It leads to death. That day, perfection died. Because of their pride and disobedience, they lost their innocence. They realized they were naked. They felt shame and guilt and fear. They played the blame game. God cursed the serpent and caused labor pains in childbirth. He cursed the ground. He caused painful toil to work the ground. Now, if I were God, I don't think I would have reacted the way God does. I think I would have just said, you know, I can't believe it. You know, I put you here. You had everything that you needed. Everything was good. I just gave you one command. You had it made. You're on your own. I'm out of here. But thankfully, that's not what God did. God did not forsake them. In Genesis 3.21, it says, The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And we know that God did send a Savior to correct their mistakes. Adam and Eve messed up big time, and yet he still loved them and took care of them. He still does that today with us, no matter what we've done in our past. If we come to him and repent, he takes care of us. The second example I want to look at is Peter. We read in Matthew 4 that Jesus calls Peter to come follow him, and he would make him a fisher of men. Now, Peter walked with Jesus for three years. Now, on the night that Jesus was betrayed... In Matthew 26, it says, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. 
And all the other disciples said the same. Mm -hmm. Then Jesus was arrested. And of course, they, had, they did scatter. And then we read in Matthew 26, Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, and where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those who were standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. This is the guy that walked with Jesus for three years. And immediately the rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken, Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Do you think Peter was ashamed? Do you think that he felt guilt and remorse? Do you think that he felt unworthy to be a servant of God? I think so. But let's look at what Jesus' plan was for Peter. Now this is before... Peter's denial. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now this is after Jesus rose from the grave. In John 21, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus said, again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. It says here, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he says, you know all things. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were young, you were dressed yourself when you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So even though Peter denied Christ, he denied him. God still loved him and had a plan for his life. And he loves you. And he has a plan for your life. little side note there. Peter got his feelings hurt? Really? I, he just got done denying Christ. And he's, his feelings were hurt because Jesus asked him if he loved him. In Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit 
filled Peter and the other apostles, we read that Peter preached a bold and confident sermon, and about 3,000 people were saved that day. Peter goes on to heal people, becomes the pastor of Jerusalem. So if God can use Peter, a simple fisherman who denied him, don't you think he can use you and me? Nothing can thwart God's plan for us. We're going to watch a a music video here in a second. Um, I think it's kind of cool how the Holy Spirit works. Uh, I was starting to uh, uh, work on this sermon, and a lot of times my wife Lois will send me uh, songs that that I might like. I like certain voices and all that. So she sent me this uh, music video and said, you know, Listen to this. So I listened to it, and, and the words uh, uh, that were on this video were what I think perfect for this sermon. I really like this uh, um, song. I like the, uh, the, the lyrics to it. It's by Laura Daigle. I think that's her name. Um, so watch that if we have it. Um, I'm going to close in a word of prayer here in a minute. I'm going to ask you to stand. Um, if you're a believer, uh, I would just say, I'm going to give you some quiet time, just a couple seconds to uh, bring anything that is from your past or anything struggle that you have and, and bring it to, to the Lord. Lay it at his feet uh, and take hold of who God says you are in him, not who you are who you think you are, or what your past has done. Stand on God's word and take hold of that, that you're his child and that you're an heir. If you want to be a child of God uh, and you're not, today's the day that you can be, and it's easy, it's simple, it's a gift from God, and all you have to do is you know, talk to the Lord and just say, I want to be a child of God. Repent of your sins. Put your faith in Christ that he took care of that on the cross. That's how easy it is to turn your life over to Christ. You can have that gift today. Can you stand with me? Just take a couple minutes and, and uh, uh, pray to yourself.